55 tea time winner of 34 PGA Tour events, including the 2002 Masters Tournament, the U.S. Open, the Bay Hill Invitational, the Buick Open, the American Express World Golf Championship. All right, all right. <laughs>
And as an amateur, you're thinking, I mean, you got to have it. You got to, you got to have some luck on your side. You got to have your game. You normally see somebody too on Thursday. You normally see that. I think that's one of the cool parts is that in the opening round, somebody with a little A next to their name is going to go out there because the U.S. Open is usually around even par. Somebody's going to go out there and play a real steady quality round of golf. Even they're one, even two. one over, and yeah. they're going to be there Thursday afternoon as the because they tee off. They're like the last tee time. It's the closing the coverage on on Fox or FS1. Some local guy, some some guy like maybe like Derek Barron, and those stories then get spotlighted where he. He was working, you know, odd jobs at like, you know, shipping places and REI and worked at Oak Brook too, which is a local golf course here in the Pacific Northwest and became, thanks to a lot of help from local professionals, thanks to a lot of help from uh, somebody that used to work at Pro Golf Discount, actually used to teach at the Tacoma store. Tony Robodeck is his swing coach. He's going to Aaron Hills with him. Um, certainly, you know, it's a lot of credit to Derek. We're not trying to take the, the spotlight off him, but um, it's... It's so cool, and there's something about the South End, Tacoma, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's another Tacoma kid that's making a name for himself. With Derek Barron, you know, he won't have an A next to his name. He's he's professional. He's professional. But, he's playing on the McKenzie Tour. In but Canada, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna have those guys, the U.S. Amateur Champion, the Pub Links, all those those top end, um, even the top end college golfers that may have qualified, yeah. but. Yeah, I mean another Tacoma golfer like we're saying we got we got Michael Putnam too from Lakewood. That's right. Yeah, he was an alternate um, at the same tournament. He was a first alternate and he got in unfortunately because of another <laughs> another yeah. Tacoma or Puyallup kid. Ryan Moore had to withdraw. We've definitely got some local interest as we as we look at the US Open. I think another thing that we we have to keep our eye on at Aaron Hills is the Phil Mickelson story, right? Yeah. I mean, it's Well, you're a new dad now. Yeah, I'm a new so, dad. So we're we're about 17 years too early, but somebody said to me, McKenna is my daughter's name, McKenna Ray Morrison, class of 2036. Ugh. <laughs> wow. Oh, how bad does that sound? Wow. How bad does that sound? But, you know, we look at these professionals like this is their job. We watch them do their job week in, week out. A lot of times, you know, I think that, that some of the, since Twitter and social media has come out, that, that players have normalized themselves a bit with sharing vacations and family and stuff like that. But they are professionals, and a lot of the high-profile ones, you know, they try and stay as private as possible. But, you know, these are real issues that even professional golfers have. Sure, and this is, to me, I mean, it's almost quintessential Phil Mickelson. Aside from... His priorities are not always what you would expect from other golfers, whether it be the story at Pinehurst back in 1999 when his first daughter was being born. He's wow. Flying, flying back That's and forth. That's this daughter, 1999, Pinehurst, Payne Stewart won. Um, flying back know, and forth across the country. Had a, a beeper jet. on him. Had yeah. a beeper on him where it, it, he was going to leave the tournament. Um, up till this point here where it's that daughter. Now, she's graduating from high school. I think Phil Mickelson draws a lot of like opposite ends of the spectrum. You either you either think Phil's awesome because he is so personable, flashes that smile, that little hat tug, all about his family first. You either buy into that and you really like that Phil Mickelson, or you think he's one of the phoniest people out there. I, I, that's what I find. I find that people are on other two ends of the spectrum, and I think all this does is this kind of adds into that. You think that. 
wow, Phil's putting his family first, or people think this is just a show, a con, that Phil is making some excuse n not to play in the tournament, uh, and he's using he's using his family as that reason. I think it's a load of crap. I think that 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 part is a load of crap. Well, no, I just think that people that are questioning um, a father. One, I like Phil Mickelson. I don't think he's that phony. He's eccentric. He approaches the game differently than anyone we've ever seen and known. And has a bit of a gambling problem. Yeah, which is fine. He makes enough we all, money we that we'll have our downfalls. Yeah, but I mean, it could be crack, but it's it's gambling. So um, you know, there's there's worse evils out there. But I don't think there's any question. Um, I think that there's. A, We've heard about it more and more over the last few years about especially newborns, guys that are on watch, on call, wives, you know, are married to a professional golfer. That is their livelihood for them to go out and play golf. And and I think that as any father, you know, if I was a professional golfer and I knew my kid was being born at Masters or not, I'm going to be there. And I'm speaking as a, a one month, one month experience as a father. I personally, you know, I could not imagine not being there. I, it was such an incredible experience, and there's really no way to sort of describe it. But other than to say, I couldn't imagine. I literally could not imagine not being there for that. And now you go extrapolate that 18 years down the road, and his daughter's not just graduating. She's also speaking at the graduation. Valedictorian. Valedictorian. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big, it's a big life moment. And we know, we know how important the U.S. Open is to Phil Mickelson. If he were to win a U.S. Open, he would complete the career Grand Slam. Yeah. So it's obviously of, it, it is of paramount significance to him, but it's not more significant than his daughter. These, and the, these golfers, they miss a lot of time. You know, especially if they're playing 25, 28 tournaments a year, yep. they're missing baseball games, soccer games, volleyball games. It doesn't matter. They're because, missing. Because a lot of people think, oh, this is just Thursday through Sunday. No, no. that's not how it works. There's travel. There's practice rounds. There's programs. There's media obligations. There's sponsor obligations. So when you're on the road, you're on the road. So you're missing a lot of this. So in these huge landmarks, you really do have to just say, you know what? I'm a father first. You know, and I even read yesterday on Twitter the the school, his daughter's school, had put out an announcement because a lot of people thought that Phil was making it so publicly known to try and persuade ah, ah. someone or, you know, hit, hit, whether, nudge, nudge. whether or not it be yeah. the USGA pushing his tea time way back or the school potentially changing something. And the school came out and just said, you know what, we have – X amount of students in this very monumental time in their life graduating high school. And, you know, we're education first and and we will be celebrating all of our students on this date. Which is, I think, actually is really cool. I don't find anything wrong with anything in this situation. This is just life sometimes. Life does not unfold perfectly for anybody. And if you feel like you can use your clout or your status or your paycheck your wallet to influence life to unfold this the, is not entourage yeah in the way that you want it yeah. to that's a terrible mindset to have this is about this is about phil making the right choice as far as i can tell making the right choice to be at his daughter's graduation to hear her speak um and and you know what if he misses the u.s open he misses the u.s open he's gonna be gritting his teeth though because he knows he's got a bomber's golf course 
with a short game, you short know, game focus. specialist. Yep. And and there's still a, a chance. From what I've read, that he will be leaving California about noon, which means that he needs some sort of weather incident to push back his tea time, like a minimum of like two to three hours. If he got a two to three hour rain delay, Phil could, in theory, still play. The other problem with that is, is that if he doesn't decommit early enough, then an alternate somebody's out. missing out, right? Just yeah. like Dustin Johnson this is, did, or Jason Day. Jason yeah. Day got a lot of grief yeah. at at, uh, at that tournament for not uh, pulling himself out. Um, the match play at Austin, in fact, is what it, where it and was. I think this is a huge thing for for these alternates that are they're going to be on site. They've already traveled. They're at a hotel. Um, they've played pack practice rounds. They're they're hoping and willing that. You know, their 69-69 at sectional was just enough yeah. due to somebody else's ill will. But yeah. um, I really hope Phil just makes the makes the decision and just says, you know what, I've made my commitment. Let somebody else come in and, and fulfill a dream. So this throws in then the next aspect, which Phil is clearly going to try to get there, right? I, I would so look forward to Phil Mickelson on fox or the golf channel breaking down the like oh if yeah. you're the commentator oh, yeah. oh my gosh it would be terrific well and i i don't even want to get started in that because i i'm not a huge fan of what fox has done thus far now they're um and especially at a new venue that doesn't have history and and a lot of a lot of that you know, archive knowledge to go back on that, that the reporters can kind of spew out. Yeah. I really don't look forward to it. It hasn't had the same, you talked about the logo being important to you. The coverage is important to me and the the coverage on Fox has just been, it's horrendous. Oh, it's just, yeah. There's something about change, which nobody really likes the change, but then when it's, you know, it's just a noticeable drop in quality. You know, I never thought I'd be raving about Dan Hicks coverage. He's kind of just there, but yeah, but sorry, Joe Buck. I mean, the Joe chance. Buck's not good. What about the Shannon Sharp and What's-His-Toes oh, uh, U.S. Open preview? Uh, dumbass Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless. Joke. No. You know, when ESPN had the coverage, people hated when Chris Berman, right, would get on. But now you got, like, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. I mean, it's – oh, man. There's Hire something Mike Tirico you know, for everything. That's all I can say. There's something about – I'm thinking of the U.S. Open. When I think of it – the the intro this sweeping panoramic shot mm-hmm. like of a, a drone or it was probably a helicopter back in the day and that that NBC theme that that it like it gives me goosebumps thinking about that mm-hmm. well shame on shame on the USGA for picking money over quality but everybody does that i know i understand everybody but this, does that. but this is your product yeah. you're putting a product you're putting a physical product out there and you're you're taking money to have somebody verbally represent it, yeah. And they don't do it any justice. Yeah. And and you know, I wonder as we get to this U.S. Open, I wonder if the USGA is really, you know, crossing their fingers that they get a U.S. Open that goes off without a hitch because it's been back to back years at Oakmont with some, you know, the the overall play was was fine but you had the rules uh, interpretation there that really clouded the u.s open that dustin johnson won at oakmont and you go back to the one that was here at chambers bay which did not get rave reviews from a lot of the players the way the course was set up and tricked out yeah i wonder if the usj is really uh, has a lot invested here in aaron hills which is putting a lot of pressure on aaron hills because it's the first time anybody's getting a look at this course well and i think i think mike davis um the 
executive for the USGA. He's been through this quite a bit now that he's he's fully engulfed over the last few majors and with everything that's gone on with the rules, I think he is fully prepared to take on exactly what may come forward where um, he, because it's sight unseen, new course, um, we'll get into the trials and tribulations of Aaron Hills. <laughs> Quite the story for Aaron Hills, yeah. But I, I honestly think that this golf course is going to show up great on TV. It does look pretty. It's a long golf course. It's a very beautiful golf course. Um, but I, I have high expectation. Um, Johnny Miller doesn't. If uh, if you've been following following yeah. uh, some of the the postings out there, but it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful that Mike Davis called the 18th one of the best finishing holes in golf. Now, you think about some of the great finishing holes that we know about. Pebble Beach certainly comes to mind at the top of the list. Um, well, you got Augusta, which, yeah, the 18th you know, it's not it's not visually stunning, but you got the shoot. And the shoot at Augusta. You never know with, with the pin placement. And 18th at Winged Foot certainly has a lot of history to it. Um, Oakmont. Oak, certainly 18th at, yeah, at, at Oakmont. There are, there are plenty of courses that have incredible finishing holes. Even some modern courses, like Valhalla in Louisville, has a, a pretty, oh, yeah, great. pretty distinct 18th finishing hole. But when I read that, they, that he thought that about Aaron Hills, I went and looked at the photo of the 18th. It's like something out of a, a children's book. As far as like visually stunning, it's incredible. And, and, and we can get into it. But, man, I think you're right about that. It's going to play to the cameras very well. It makes me think back to the Chambers Bay, how I wish Chambers Bay could have played to the, to the cameras really well, but it was so baked out. We had such a weird weather, that yeah. late spring, early summer, that it, it did, I don't think it did play to the cameras all that great, but I, I think Aaron Hills will. Are you more excited about a U.S. Open at a new venue like Aaron Hills, or do you get more excited when it's going to Shinnecock or Wingfoot? Or... It's really tough because the U.S. Open circuit, unlike the PGA maybe, they pick really, really good golf courses. Nobody could ever say anything bad about Shinnecock. Right. Nobody could ever say anything about, you know, any one of the number of Olympic. US Olympic great golf course. So Aaron Hills, I'm really, really looking forward to it. For a golfer and coming from my golf background as a superintendent, visually just that is awesome. I love the fescue. I love all of that. Yeah, the, the rolling hills, uh, they call it the Kettle Moraine, uh, glaciers that receded out there um, in, in the Midwest and, and created the, the topography that, yeah, you just, um, you know, let's get into to the, maybe yeah, the story of Aaron, of, of Aaron Hills because it's something. And, and let's jump off right there because this is a, a piece of land that is, it, it's so unique because they hardly had to move any dirt around think about our course here that hosted the chambers bay yep. it's all man-made they moved us a gravel pit and they turned it into this tricked up link style course aaron hills is set in some of the most naturally beautiful rolling mounding hills anywhere in the country by by anybody's standards yeah and i think that that comparing the two is a little disservice to aaron hills at all because you know if you've ever played chambers which we we have the luxury sure, of yeah, doing yeah. at our at our leisure up here um it does even though it's very natural 
it is very man-made and you can tell because because the water's so close generally when you have water nearby there's a gradual slope because that's the way that the glaciers or whatever made it yeah so obviously it is very man-made i love chambers bay um i think it's a great golf course and i i like the layout my silence is just going to say all i all I have to say about it, but go ahead, continue on. But Aaron Hills, like you were saying, and, and from what I've read, and there's a great piece that both Justin and I have read. Um, and I urge you, if you are a golf fanatic, a golf lover, a golf course architect lover, uh, from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Yeah. Uh, it's a seven part series and Justin turned me on to it and I got engulfed. If you got if you got some time here leading up, what a uh, what a great way to, to learn about. But if you're if you're not gonna go read it, we'll basically try to give you the Cliff Notes version here. You have an Aaron Hills, a property that was owned by um, an elderly couple. It was like a, a cattle farm or milk farm. They were retiring. They were selling the land. The couple that owned it, the husband sort of knew how beautiful it was, was suggesting a golf course get made. There's a ton of backstory to that we kind of have to gloss over to move along. But basically, it went through a variety of different people that wanted to buy it, uh, including a younger Tom Doak, who was not as acclaimed. Tom Doak, the golf course architect, um, designer who's renowned at this point, but this is back in 1999, 98, yeah, 99. Yep. Wasn't quite as well known. He was out there, thought maybe it could be his signature piece, his what he would maybe make his name on. His top 100. Yeah, everybody that saw it knew it. it essentially, to, to boil it down as fast as I can, which I'm not even doing a good job of, the, the man who owned it, uh, sort of a venture capitalist, hedge fund guy, did it his own way. And went with some architects that were not as well known, passed up on Tom Doak, passed up on Jack Nicholas, passed up on Arnold Palmer. Didn't invite Fazio. Didn't invite Fazio. Went with a group that was relatively unheralded. And they basically languished five, six years trying to build this course. Uh, Robert Lang is, was his name who bought it. Tinkerer could not decide exactly what they wanted to do. Um, invested far too much time far too much money they created an incredible piece of land but unfortunately the sad part of the story is that robert lang bob lang he's alive but he did not get to see this go through to its conclusion because he flat out ran out of money did too much overdid it overtouched it just goes to show you there's a lot that goes into building beautiful golf courses and when you get one you really have to appreciate what went into it in the end they do have an incredible piece of property but it's because they got saved uh, basically at the 11th hour uh, as robert lang was going bankrupt it got saved and turned into what we'll see this weekend it's such a dynamic story and the piece that that i referred to goes into all the detail and it is it is really really engaging if you are a golfer um I've been around golf for a long time. Justin's been around golf for a long time, but it just goes to show you when you have non-golfers making huge golf decisions, not having the full scope and the full background where, where the vision had changed two, three, four different times throughout this process where they wanted to be so accessible to the local community, only charge $50. So you're spending five, 10, 15, $20 million to charge $50 at a public course. Like, 
That's not a great return. Those numbers, unless you're a billionaire or someone that is just flush with cash and you're so in love with the game of golf, which Bob Lang wasn't. He was in love with the property. He was was in love love with the idea of hosting a U.S. Open, but he wasn't in love with the game of golf. He's a businessman. He saw it as something that he could sink his teeth into after he sold his other company, thought he would get a good return on his investment, all these things. But in the end... He got bailed out by a gentleman named Andy Ziegler for pennies. He spent fifty percent of yeah, fifty percent of the dollar. Lang spent twenty million, and he got bought out for ten million. Yeah. and bought out with basically Ziegler said, "You have no say in it now." That was the only way he was yeah. buying it because he knew that Lang had just micromanaged that course to death. A couple of things that stood out to me was that you talked about you hit on one of them was that they wanted to make this a very nice publicly accessible golf course for that $50 price range and they open up the golf course for the very first time and they're charging $150. They, yeah. they missed the mark that badly, but they did it because they had to get cash. They had to get well, yeah, money flowing in, in the door instead of going all out the door. And from everything that I've read that it may have been worth 40 or $50, but they're trying to get 150 to recoup and to, to start generating some revenue. Um, the tough thing is, is that, because you had some designers, what I read were mostly landscape architects and not golf designers. I think the big thing is, is that through all of that, until you get kind of towards the end of the story, is that there was never the thought of sustainability, the conditioning, money spent on annual maintenance. You're choosing to use fescue because of a vision and not... Um, practicality practicality or site specific or soil um, looking at your soil conditions you know to the nth degree in order to create that sustainability and so you're going to use fescue in the fairways they got talked out of using fescue on the greens luckily they used a4 bent grass which is a very well-known and well-regarded championship putting surface carts because of generating revenue which caused a lot of the issues on the golf course um, they removed them, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they, they ended them. up removing them, but you know, just because either for the same reason the chambers, you know, one because of the way chambers is laid out, doesn't really suit carts, um, and it was built for walking only. But um, the compaction when you bring into fescue, I mean, it just creates a agronomy nightmare. Right. The basic stories were that in the in the infancy of the course, which it has only been around since 2006, 2006, you know, everybody loved it, loved the layout. They just said it was so raw, it was so immature. But one of the great parts I liked was they were talking about getting the course ready for a tournament and they needed to mark off the parts that were ground under repair. And they said, we don't have enough white paint yeah. <laughs> to mark off the parts that are ground under repair. Yep. And that was as as late as t- 2008, 2009. And Ziegler came in and saved that course, got it ready for a 2011 U.S. Amateur, which went off well well enough that they did award Aaron Hills the 2017 U.S. Open. And that's where we we are this week leading up to it. So that gets us, uh, I think, to a point where we're probably ready to, to make our picks for the U.S. Open. You know, I would have said a month ago when we did our last podcast, it just put me down for Dustin Johnson. But, <laughs> you know, things have changed. Yeah, uh, Dustin Johnson has is, – he was – invincible to start this calendar year of golf not quite the case the last two tournaments that he's entered Uh, yeah it it leaves us in a little bit more of a 
a little unsure, especially throwing the fact that we don't know much about this course and how it's going to play. We don't know who it's going to favor. So with that, let's give uh, – since it's such a big tournament, let's give a couple of picks uh, for the U.S. Open. Because it's a little unknown, and I know generally we do a dark horse. Um, well, my dark horse is – he's only a one-year PGA Tour vet, but he just happens to be in the top, like, 15. <laughs> Quite the dark horse. Uh, that's I John, think I know where we're going. That's John Rahm. John Rahm, okay. And, uh, you know, my steady Eddie pick, my heart wants Dustin Johnson, and I think this would be a perfect golf course for him, but he's just not in form right now and, and hasn't fully regained that physical and mental uh, ability that he that we saw earlier in the season. I'm going to go with Jordan Spieth. Okay. Proven. He, he's got – He's got those underneath his belt. It's been tr- trending in the right direction too. His I think he's got he's got the length. And he's got the putter. So, um, so I'm looking forward to uh, to watching these guys. I think Rom he is hot right now. I mean, like triple emoji fire hot. <laughs> and I just think that this could be the breakout the the thing that solidifies it. He's got peers just saying that that he is far and away better at the age that he was compared to almost anyone on tour right now where they were at 23, you know, maybe not, you know, obviously not tiger, but, um, as far as ability, physicality, um, size, strength, all of it, mental fortitude, whatever you want to call it. Those are my picks. Okay. What you got? You look at, you look at Dustin Johnson. He's not playing well right now. You just never know. But, the U.S. Opens, too. He won last year. Second, second. The year before at, uh, the year before at, at Chambers Bay, he was, it was literally a 10-foot putt away from winning it and then a 3-foot putt away from going into a playoff. Um, you know, the year before that, he finished like T4. Uh, it's not a bad pick. It's, it wouldn't be a bad pick. But you know what? I'm going to go against all of my good instincts. This and is not say, good for you. What? This is not good for it's you. It's not good for me? No, but okay. go ahead. I'm going to go against all my good instincts and say Sergio Garcia is going to go two for two in majors this year. I'll bet the house against that. <laughs> Just not a good, good enough short game? I don't think he has the mental strength to withstand a U.S. Open. I think he's freed up. Nope. Let it go. Like I said, I'll bet the house Free against your mind. That. Free your mind, Brandon. I mean, good for him if he does, but I just don't see it. I don't. U.S. Opens have not been friendly to him, and I just think that I just think he's such a good ball striker that he's going to put himself in position, and I just think he's going to he's going to find himself there at the end, and then he's going to find himself with enough confidence now, of a freedom yeah. that he's not pushing for it. So I'm I love push. Sergio, but it took him this long to win one, and to think he's going to win two in the same year. Good luck. It's. It's. I'll be honest. I immediately regret my decision to well, pick Sergio. That's fine. <laughs> you know who else is playing well? <clears throat> Kevin Chappell's playing really well. Yep. He won earlier this year. Um, he's, he's playing really well right now, so keep an eye on him. But like I said, I think that, that if anything, I mean, we're, we're both keeping our fingers crossed that Aaron Hills really does, does give the viewer and the fan a real treat and a real show. Midwest Golf doesn't get its due and there's a lot of 
if you do follow golf and new courses and architecture and all that kind of stuff, there is a lot of stuff happening in the Midwest right now. Not, not so much on the championship golf side, but just in golf in general. And, and I think that it's really going to put a great spotlight on Wisconsin. I'm looking forward to it. I love the U S open. I, I echo those sentiments. I got a chance to play. I was in Wisconsin for a wedding about five years ago, and I got a chance to play just a public track out there. And I was blown away at just, it, it certainly wasn't to the level of Aaron Hills, but just the way it flowed in its natural surroundings with wetlands, with trees, rolling hills, beautiful land, great vistas. It, it was a really fun round of golf. And, and I think Aaron Hills is going to come across that way uh, this weekend, hopefully. So we look forward to the U.S. Open. We thank you for tuning in to the Pro Golf Podcast. We will not stay away for another month. I don't have another baby due in the next month. That's I good. I don't know about you. Can't speak to that. That would be weird. That would be weird. <laughs> be, be some news <laughs> yeah. if you want to share. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, we look forward to our next podcast. We thank you for tuning in. You can catch us on Twitter at ProGolfPod. You can send us emails, podcast at ProGolfSeattle.com. Until then, for Brandon, I'm Justin. Thanks for listening to the ProGolf Podcast. Due to buds. Obviously, you're not a golfer. <laughs> <laughs>